Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022, to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 191. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, the next two weeks, this podcast is going to be dedicated to talking about the medical school interview. And there's two reasons for that. As I'm recording this, this is July 18th of 2016, and we're in the middle of application season, and students are starting to get interview invites to medical schools, those that are applying this year. The other reason for that is my new book is coming out hopefully soon, in the next week or so. Uh, It's going to be called The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview. Now, there's two names in there. The Pre-Med Playbook is a series of books that I will start soon, obviously with the medical school interview book being the first one. The second one will probably be on writing your personal statement, and there are many more planned, and hopefully I'll get to them as time progresses. But the pre-med playbook is going to come out on Kindle soon, like I said. So if you're listening to this, go to medschoolinterviewbook.com. Again, that's medschoolinterviewbook.com. A couple weeks ago, I asked members of the Medical School Headquarters Hangout on Facebook, which is our closed private Facebook group specifically for listeners of this podcast and those that happen to stumble upon us looking for pre-med resources. But I asked that community for questions about the medical school interview process. And I got a ton of awesome questions. I want to cover those here today. So, First thing, if you're not part of the Hangout, go join the group, medicalschoolhq.net slash group. If you are part of the Hangout and you left a question, hopefully I'll get to it here. If not, 
let me know and, and hopefully I can answer it for you in an email or, or somewhere else. But the first question here that I want to talk about is one that was brought up talking about how to bring up the need for disability accommodations. Now, this is an interesting question because in a couple weeks, I'm going to release an episode where I talk to a student who is legally blind and he has a genetic, or not a genetic condition, he has a condition that causes his vision, is, is causing his vision to deteriorate over time. And he talks about his first time applying to medical school being very open in his personal statement about who he was and his disability and he didn't get accepted. The second time he applied to medical school, he didn't talk about his disability, didn't talk about it during the interview, and was accepted to medical school. And in the packet of information that comes from the medical school, there's a checkbox that talks about needing reasonable accommodations for for taking tests and, and classes and other things. And that's where he finally told the school, hey, I, I have a disability. So the, the question, how do you bring up your need for disability accommodations? It, it's, there's a couple of different things to think about. Obviously, the, the ADA says that you can't be discriminated against if you have a disability, whether it's physical, whether it's a mental health disability, whatever it is. But my opinion is, if it's, if it's something that... For, for instance, if it's a dyslexia or you have some sort of learning disability, you need a little bit of extra time on tests, I wouldn't bring those up before you get your acceptance. Let them accept you for your prior records, your GPA, your MCAT score, your extracurriculars, the rest of your application. Go in and shine on your interviews. Let them offer you an acceptance and then talk about disability accommodations. Because once you are accepted, then they have to meet those accommodations, whatever, if they're reasonable accommodations for, for your disability. Obviously, if you're somebody who's in a wheelchair, has a physical disability, then you, you can't hide a lot of that. So that's gonna show up when you go for an interview and might make for an interesting discussion. But for, for mental health things, for extra time on tests, I, I wouldn't bring those up unless there, there's a specific reason why you are doing that. All right, so the next question is one that talks about preparing for the MMI. It says, how do you make sure to say everything you need, everything you need to say in the time limit? And that is the trick of the MMI. A lot of students will finish the MMI super early and that allows for some discussion, some back and forth dialogue with the interviewer, whether the interviewer is the actual person talking to you or you're talking to them. The interviewer may be a bystander just witnessing your interactions with an actor or, or some other standard patient interaction. The, the interviewers, the standard patients, or whoever the actor is that you're dealing with, they are given pretty strict guidelines on how to interact with you. They're trying to keep all of the interactions as standard as possible. And so every school does this a little bit differently, but 
but sometimes you're allowed to ask a question, is there anything else, or, or whatever it may be. I would try to, to talk. Uh, obviously, the, the, the direct answer to the question, how do you prepare, how do you make sure you say everything in a time limit, is to practice. Go through some practice MMI scenarios and see what five or six minutes feels like, because that's about the time that you have see what that time feels like as you're sitting there talking. Does it feel like a lot of time where you have plenty of time left over after you're done talking, or do you feel like you have to be rushed? So really practicing those scenarios, having a timer, and timing yourself is key. And I'll, I'll give a plug for the book here. The book has a, a, a bunch of scenarios for the MMI in there as well. So again, medschoolinterviewbook.com. Another question here that says, how does one approach the interview if they have trouble with strong eye contact, issues with stuttering or saying, um, energy in your voice when delivering answers, etc." Again, I'll go back to practice. The, 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 all of those things are key things for an interview. And as an interviewer, I am looking for those things. I'm looking for your eye contact. I am looking for how well you can communicate and studying, uh, stuttering and saying, um, while minor things, if, if you don't do them a lot, they're minor. If you do do them, if you do do them a lot, then I can, it, it becomes something that I, that's like the only thing you can hear. I'm sure some of you have sat in on a class and the professor has some sort of verbal tick or something and you as soon as you catch on to it, that's all you hear. And as an interviewer, if, if you say um a lot or you, you smack your lips or whatever it may be, I catch that and then it's just, it's annoying in my head as I'm trying to listen to your answers. I'm not, I'm not totally shutting you out as the interviewer because you do that, but it just makes it harder for me to pay attention. And so the, the best thing to do is to practice. Do some mock interviews. Record yourself with video. Take out your phone. Record yourself. And see what your verbal tics are, what, what your, your nuances are of how you answer questions, whether you like to look off into the, the room somewhere else and not looking at the, the interviewer. Those are all important things that, that you really need to do. And you don't want to be too rehearsed, but... I liken it to, to going out on a first date. You don't go out on a first date and sit at the, the we'll say the, the dinner table and have everything memorized that you want to talk about with the person you're out on a date with. You have the key things about you that you know just because you are you. You know, you know where you grew up. You know about your family, your friends, etc. And you fill in the rest as you go. You have those key points, you fill in the rest. So that's the same thing with the interview. You need to practice well enough that you know what your key points are, the things that you want to get across, and then the rest of it you fill in as you go. That kind of follows along. That The next question was, how does one avoid sounding too rehearsed or not passionate? Again, practice. Know those key points so that you know that you're hitting all of the highlights that you want to hit on but don't memorize every single word let your mind let your brain fill in the rest of those words as you go 
Next question here is a very common one. What are some thoughtful questions to ask the interviewer that cannot be answered by doing research on your own? My, my opinion on this is I like opinion-based questions. I like questions that, that open up some dialogue between you and the interviewer. If you're asking questions about some sort of specific program, specifics about the curriculum, interactions with students and the free clinic that the school's associated with, the interviewer might not have that information. You have to understand that a lot of medical schools use volunteer admissions people, volunteer interviewers from the community, and they might not have that in-depth information about the program that you're asking about. And so when you ask a question like that, you're you're kind of wasting time, you're wasting valuable interaction that you could have had otherwise if you asked something that you know the interviewer could answer. Because opinion-based questions can be, can be answered by everybody. I had a question this morning as I was doing a mock interview with a student who it, she asked, what do you think this school should be known for that it doesn't get a lot of attention for? That was a very interesting question. What do you think your school, what do you think this school should be known for that doesn't get a lot of attention for? It's a great question. It's an opinion-based question. It allows the interviewer to talk about something that he or she may be very interested in talking about, passionate in talking about. Maybe they're involved with some sort of research or program there and they think it's the best thing since sliced bread, but not a lot of people give it a lot of attention, and it allows them to open up and talk about it. And that's a huge win for you, because as soon as they start talking and are passionate about what they're talking about, it's a whole new level of, of connection that you have with that interviewer. So opinion-based questions are some of the best questions to ask, in my opinion. Another question here, how do I approach my desire to help the LGBT community through medicine without causing biases with the interviewers? So I've, I've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of discussion recently with and about the LGBT aspect of medicine. One of the students that I'm coaching right now through the application process is identifies herself as as a lesbian as part of the LGBT community. And part of her secondaries that she's working on, she's asking the question of of whether or not she should talk about that as part of her diversity. It initially came up as part of uh, one of the one of the secondaries just asks you to check yes or no if you're part of the, if you associate with the LGBT community. And my, my answer to her was to probably not check that, just leave that blank, because that's a label. And as, as this person asking the question says, how do, you, how do you overcome biases among interviewers? And I having that checkbox that says, yes, I consider myself part of the LGBT community with just a simple yes or no, I don't think it does anybody the the proper justice. So I told her not to check that. Obviously, it's it's her application and she needs to do what she's comfortable with. But there was another question about diversity. 
And I said, yes, talk about how being a lesbian has added to your diversity and how that can add to the diversity to the medical school class. And so she's going to talk about it in her secondary essays because then she can expand on it and not just label herself from a checkbox. I don't know if you can understand that difference there, but it was something as we were talking about it, it seemed to, to make sense between the two of us. And I'd love to hear your opinions more on this. I know it's a, it's a hot topic. And actually in, in the book, I, I have a section on how to dress. And one of the early people to read the book said it's very gender stereotypical. And, and I said, yes, it is. Part of the reason is I, I didn't dig into it because I didn't really think much about it. But the other part of it is that I don't want any student to be rejected from a medical school because an interviewer has an issue with a female dressing in a man's suit or a man dressing in a dress, whatever, whatever orientation somebody is, I don't want that to hold them back from an acceptance to medical school. Now you may say, well, if, if that medical school is going to reject them for that reason, then it's not a good fit for them. And I would, I would agree with that, but I would also say that it's not typically the medical school's interpretation, not interpretation, it's, it's not their stance based on one interviewer that, that may have their own biases. And so my advice is to play it very, very safe uh, on your interview day as far as how you're dressed. And I think I'll leave it at that. I, I hope, uh, I, I am all for um, uh, gender equality and LGBT equality. I think until, and what I said, until we get everybody's heads out of their, their butts and, and understand that everybody here is equal, then we're still gonna be dealing with personal biases and play it, play it safe for your interview day. All right, next question from, I, I'll leave names out of this. The next question, talking about the best way to follow up after an interview. Um, and then the follow-up question to that, is it appropriate to ask a review or an evaluation in addition to a personal thank you? So I'll answer the second question first. At the end of your interview process, if you've been rejected from a school, then yes, you can ask for an evaluation. And Hopefully the school keeps records of your interview process, how the interviewers liked you, didn't like you, so that they can give you those notes. I wouldn't ask for it before that rejection though. Don't at the end of the interview go, so how did I do? That's not appropriate. It puts the interviewer in a, in a bad spot because they don't, wanna, they don't wanna be put on the spot like that. The best way to follow up is typically through an email or a, a regular letter, ask the school if they accept regular letters. Again, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of schools use volunteer interviewers. And so if you send a piece of mail to the school for this interviewer, the school might not have a way to, to forward that mail on. So I always prefer email. I would send an email as soon as you can with some key information to help spark the memory of the interviewers about who you are, maybe some, some interesting discussion that, that you had to help them remember you a little bit more. And in the book, actually, I have, I have a section on that kind of debriefing and following up after the interview, 
And there's a link in the book to some sample thank you notes that you can send as well. Hopefully, hopefully the book gets popular enough that everybody's sending the same emails, but hopefully not. Um, I, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> Another question here is if you took a leave of absence or two due to health issues or family crises, how do you address this in your interview without making yourself weak? Life happens, but I don't want that to be held against me in the admissions process. So very common issue. A lot of students need to take breaks for for personal reasons, for family reasons. If you're asked during the interview, a lot of secondaries will actually ask you if you've had any breaks in your education and you can bring it up then so that hopefully the interviewer sees this. But if you're asked directly in the interview, uh, on your interview day, you you have to own up to it. If it's a health issue, talk about a health issue. If, if it's a family crisis, you talk about a family crisis. You say what was best for me as a student at the time was to, to take some time off, regroup, and, and start over again. I talk about course correcting a lot here uh, on the podcast, and I think that's what you really need to do is, is talk about course correcting. Say that you were, you were on a path for, for not doing well because your mind was focused somewhere else. You were distracted for health reasons, for family reasons, whatever it may be. And you thought the best thing for you as a student was to take some time off, allow yourself to course correct and get back on track. So you, you're not the only person that has had to take some time off. And uh, I, I think schools understand that things come up and people need to take some time off and it's okay. Another question here, what is the best way to discuss being a single parent? Do we discuss, do we address the challenges plus support team? Or do we wait until they bring it up? So here's another one where kind of similar to the LGBT questions, I would I would not discuss this unless they specifically bring it up. Um, obviously, if you're talking about yourself, your family is part of you. So you can talk about having kids and everything else. If the interview if the interviewer wants to dig in and talk about how many kids you have and and who's going to watch the kids when you're in school. I think I, I think that's kind of a hard topic to to ask a person, especially a female parent who is raising the kids. I, I guarantee you that a male parent raising kids alone probably wouldn't get these questions, but unfortunately, again, you have these gender stereotypes that uh, a lot of older interviewers may may be asking uh, whether they should or shouldn't. Um, so I would I would try to avoid that question as much as possible unless it's asked specifically of you, and and again you talk about you talk about your successes, how you've been able to navigate the pre med world, being a single parent, how you've obviously navigated the applications and studying for the MCAT as a single parent. You talk about what you've learned, and I think you use that as a strength: the fact that you're a single parent raising kids. And you're still so successful that you're, you're there at the interview. I think that says a lot about you as a person. And so I, I don't think you, you talk about challenges. I think you talk about your successes of, of doing that. Another question here kind of related to something we asked about earlier. In case they ask, how far in depth do you have to talk about your mental illness? Can you say that you're not comfortable discussing your mental illness? And so here's another one where I... I question why it, they would know about your mental illness to begin with. I know there was a, a podcast episode 
on the Only Human podcast, I believe, talking about a medical student in Wisconsin, I believe, <laughs> and uh, and she was very open about her depression and I think suicidality, and the school was very open and accepting her, and she's had issues since being accepted, but I, I think, again, there's there's such a stigma in this country with mental illness that I, I wouldn't allow that to be a factor in the admissions process. I, I would I would just avoid it as a discussion. There's no reason that the medical school needs to know about your mental illness. And I think you can inquire all that you want about support and and resources that they have for students and and leave it at that. And obviously choose a school that's going to support you with whatever you need. But I wouldn't bring it up and 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 kind of put a put a uh, a sign on yourself that that says that you have a mental illness and and just give them another reason to to not accept you again with the ADA. It, I don't know how different it is because you're applying to school versus a job in the with the ADA. Jobs aren't allowed to ask you this stuff, so schools I don't know if they're allowed to or not. But it's it's something to think about. And again, I wouldn't bring it up. Do they quiz you on science topics? I don't. I'm sure there are some interviewers that love questioning students, but I've I haven't talked to any interviewers that like this. I've never experienced this myself. I haven't heard from students that have experienced this. I think it's more common as a as a resident going through your residency interviews, uh, especially for neurosurgery interviews. They, they like to do a lot of hands-on things, maybe testing your dexterity and, and other things like that. So uh, be prepared in the future, but, but not right now, I don't think. You'll be fine. A question here, what is the best way to approach a weaker transcript during the interview process if it's brought up? So here's one where you have to understand that if you're in the interview they've already looked at your transcript and are okay with it. They understand that you, or they accept your transcript and, and they feel that you are a strong enough student even though your transcript you think is weaker. They feel that you're a strong enough student to, do, to be successful in that class. And so if they bring up any sort of red flags in your application, you can talk about having uh, some poor grades and talk about why they happened and what you've learned and how you'll move forward. But I don't think you need to go into the interview or th- into, into the interview thinking that your transcript is quote unquote weaker. Because if you have that interview, they are, they are okay with your transcript as a whole. Don't worry about it. Another question here, how do you know whether it will be a closed file or open file interview? So typically the schools will tell you if it's open file, closed file, MMI, uh, panel interview, if they don't tell you in any of the, the interview invite information, the packets that they send you, just ask them and they'll tell you. Should be fine. Another question here, what is the best way to answer the question regarding your top school choice? For example, if my top school is UCLA, but I'm interviewing for USC and they want to make sure if they give me a spot, I will be happy, etc. What do you do? So I would never lie and say, oh yes, USC is my top choice, if it's not. Some interviewers may ask if, if this school is your top choice, 
And in that case, I think you you kind of deflect and you talk about all the great things about the school and how you would love to be a student at that school. I, I think that's how you have to answer it. Talk about, it's a similar question to, to why do you want to come here? What about USC? What about UCLA makes you want to be a student here? Have that sort of information ready to go so that if you're asked anything about the school, you're able to talk about it and and talk about how ready you are, how excited you are to be a student at that school without using those words, top choice or number one school. I think it's good. What are cliche things to say and do they really impact what interviewers think of us? So this is a great question. Cliche answers a lot of times come when being asked about weaknesses or strengths or obstacles, challenges, you get a lot of cliched answers. Like a weakness uh, that a student may answer is being a perfectionist, a very cliched answer. And so when I'm doing mock interviews with students, I typically, if they give me a very cliched answer, we'll try to dig deeper. And in the book, actually, the, the third section of the book is, is 55, I think, answers from students with my feedback. And in one of them specifically, there was, uh, it it wasn't a very cliched answer that the student gave me, but it was a, I didn't like the answer. It was a very negative answer about some of the challenges they had as an undergrad. And so what I did as the interviewer was I, I just, after doing, during the feedback part, I dug deeper onto why he gave me that answer and we came to a better answer to use and that's what he used moving forward and, and now he's starting medical school. And I think if, if you have a propensity to say cliched things, you need to sit down with who you're doing the mock interviews with and dig deeper on those cliched answers to figure out exactly what you mean by it when you say that you're a perfectionist. What is that... What does that look like? What does that feel like? How does that show up? Give me an example of that. And when you're able to dig a little bit deeper, you come to better answers. And I wouldn't say that it's held against you by an interview. Uh, I, I don't like cliched answers because what it, the perception that it gives me as the interviewer, and, and I'm sure it does this for other interviewers, is that you really didn't think through the answer or think through the question to come up with something original to you. you. You came up with something easy, which is why it's cliched. It's it's used way too much. So I, I would try to avoid at all costs cliched answers the best you can. So I think I got most of the answers or questions that I wanted to get to here. A ton of questions here. Again, if I didn't get to your question or if you have other questions, feel free to post in the the Hangout group, again, medicalschoolhq.net slash group. Obviously, go check out the book, medschoolinterviewbook.com. Has, it's a, a lot of pages. It's 52 plus thousand words in the book. The book is coming out on Kindle only to start. I, I initially was going to publish this through the Kindle, through Amazon, so that you can get a paperback version or the Kindle version. But as I'm recording this, just last week, I signed a contract with a national publisher that is going to publish this book and get it into bookstores probably the first half of next year so that the published 
print version will be available for the application cycle next year, as I'm, again, recording this application cycle for 2017 for the entering class of 2018. So that's huge news. I've I never wanted to be, it was never a goal of mine to be a published author, but I had the opportunity. I was introduced to a publisher that that work with people like me, kind of smaller um, people that are using books to help their business, which obviously a medical school interview book, my business helping students get into medical school obviously fits together. And so I was super excited when I sent them my manuscript and they met and they accepted my manuscript and they want to help me get this book out to as many people as possible. So for right now, Kindle only, which shouldn't be a problem. Kindle is available everywhere and anywhere. And uh, again, medschoolinterviewbook.com. Sign up, just uh, enter your email address there so that when the book comes out, we can send you an email and you can go and get it. It'll be on super sale to begin with and um, we'll go up to a normal, a normal Kindle book price after a week or so. So Sign up for that email, get notified when it's first on sale so you get it for super cheap. And then, and then, uh, yeah, then let me know how, how it is. And I hope you're excited for me as, as I am that, that the book will be published and in bookstores. So if you're listening to this in 2016 and you're not applying this year, you're applying in 2017 or beyond, hopefully the book is out in bookstores and you can get it where you are now. Med School Interview Book will always show you where to get it and when. All right, I hope that answered a lot of questions about the interview process. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the interview and how to best prepare and some other, some other information to get you prepared. It, it really is the last big hurdle between you and acceptance to medical school. So the best way to, to make sure you get that acceptance to medical school if you get that interview invite is obviously prepare the best that you can and to do that, you're obviously listening to this podcast, so you're you're a leg up on majority of pre-med students. Go get the book. You'll be even a bigger leg up. And listen next week to next week's podcast, and you'll be golden. We also have a couple interview podcasts in our archives, session 19, session 91, and a couple other ones, I believe. So go listen to those if you haven't already. All right. I think I'll cut it off there. Thanks for listening. I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. Go check out the book at medschoolinterviewbook.com and catch us next week here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years. Again, that's medschoolinterviewbook.com.